Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360, and I'm going to be your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Andy Ramgobin, who is the Principal Technology Evangelist at Technimove, and we're going to be talking about Technimove's Science of Cybersecurity and Cyber Resiliency Periodic Table, which aims to help enterprises fully understand the threat landscape and assist in providing end-to-end value that protects businesses and hardens their security posture, while also mitigating risk. So, Andy, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on today. Thanks very much for having me, Max. It's a pleasure, and uh, this is a new topic, which I'm excited to kind of dive into and find out what you guys have got going on. But before we get into all your wonderful periodic table, can you maybe let us know a bit about yourself and Technimove? Yes, so uh, a bit about Technimove. Uh, We are a world leader in physical data center migration. Um, Business has been running for about 23 years now, and we've delivered projects um, all over the UK, all over Europe, um, all over Asia Pack. Um, so it's a very well-established business. And then we've been building a reseller and managed service provider arm to extend the capabilities to our global customers. And then a little bit about myself. I've been in IT for, I think, about 12 years now um, in a myriad of different roles. Uh, I've worked for small, medium-sized businesses right up to $2 billion global enterprises. Uh, and really, my job is to go into a customer, extrapolate all of the information about their technology platform and provide end-to-end technology value and help the customer answer questions that they haven't asked themselves before and to stitch everything together, both legacy investments and new investments um, with the most effective needle and the finest thread. Amazing. You make all come true. That's what I'm hearing. I would like to think so. You know, paint (laughs) the picture of the art of the possible to the customer um, and yeah. then work backwards to what's achievable. Amazing. That's great to hear. So, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, we're talking about the science of cybersecurity and cyber resiliency periodic table, which when you and me had this original kind of prep and you were showing at me, I was like, this is fantastic. Loving what I'm seeing. But could you maybe tell the listeners what it is we're talking about, why it was great? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, I think one thing that end users, whether they're small to medium sized businesses or enterprises struggle with is that a lot of vendors and technology vendors tend to have a lot of information um, on their websites, um, on their solution pages. But unfortunately, customers come away from reading those websites and brochures thinking, I don't really know what you're selling me. I don't really know how this fits for my business. There is a, you know, a, 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 a misconception uh, in some in some forms that uh, vendors are obviously trying to sell what they want to sell uh, and they don't necessarily take the time to understand the customer's requirements. So I'm very big on trying to create educational content. I write a lot of white papers. I write a lot of blogs um, and there's a lot going on in the cybersecurity and cyber resilience space. And with the periodic table, it's a really nice graphical representation of obviously chemistry elements. And I wanted to be able to take that periodic table and try and apply it to cybersecurity and cyber resilience and create an educational piece of content that really helps customers understand what the landscape of cybersecurity and cyber resilience looks like, 
the differences between cybersecurity and cyber resilience um, and how that's broken down into things like the technologies that you can deploy and um, governance, compliance and best practices that businesses should be looking to deploy and um, typical attack types um, that hackers will use to effectively try and breach your business. Talking about the five, six major cybersecurity frameworks and then talking a bit more about DevSecOps, which is a very big part of security at the moment. And that's been born from the rise of cloud native architectures, um, Kubernetes and containers, um, and then separating that resilience piece. You know, so customers really do understand that there is a distinct demarc between cybersecurity uh, and cyber resilience. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think all businesses should end up looking like every chemistry school in the land should be printed on the wall and stuck up and everyone has to memorize it. That's, that's what I'm hoping comes out of this handy. Well, actually, Max, um, funnily enough, we've got a number of customers now that have actually got this printed on a big resin canvas and it's up in their offices. And our marketing manager had um, a quite grandiose plan of going to all of the universities and to get uh, the people that are studying cybersecurity, you know, from a student perspective, uh, being able to understand this from the grassroots. So we're actually hoping that this will be printed up on up on the wall in in both businesses and educational facilities where people can start to really use this as a foundational piece of content to, to build either their security posture or their career in security. Exactly, because then it's always going to be front of mind, it's not going to be forgotten, and everyone kind of follow it to a letter. And you were right when you were talking there about how many different technology approaches we have, how many are being implemented by organizations and the different stacks that people are bringing in. So the question is, when we're looking at these layers, how should we be looking at the layer technology approach when it comes to cybersecurity, when there are so many options available out there on the market? Well, I, th- I think the thing to, to go back to on that, Max, is that the industry term is defense in depth. Uh, and I use personally to tend to use the term layered approach because ultimately there are so many fundamentals of security that you need to understand which layer applies to which security area in your business. And actually, when you start to stack layers of technology together, how do you derive value from that technology area? So if we look at Cisco, for example, who are a very well-known enterprise networking and security vendor, they have a number of technologies that you can take in isolation that may solve a tactical problem. Um, That could be you know, an enterprise next generation firewall, um, what Cisco call their firepower range. Um, and that holds one layer, you know, at the firewall layer. Uh, people need to connect via a VPN. Uh, they then need to authenticate. So you then have things like multi-factor authentication that gets bolted in. Again, for Cisco, that's uh, their product that they bought called Duo. Uh, and these t- technologies actually have integration. So you want to be able to solve a problem at a fundamental layer but then to be able to build on each of those layers to effectively harden your security posture. So once you've looked at MFA, you know, we have things like EDR, which is endpoint detection response. And that is the next generation AV. So when we think about antivirus, it used to be the Kaspersky's, the McAfee's of the world. And it's very much a, a static AV. Whereas when we talk about EDR, we're talking about proactive threat hunting. So for Cisco, they have Cisco Endpoint Protection, or, or, or people will know it as Cisco AMP. And as soon as you deploy something like Cisco AMP, you can then leverage value with Cisco Duo. So if Cisco Duo sees an endpoint that is trying to authenticate 
to a network or an application that has some sort of malicious activity that AMP has flagged, Duo will deny that authentication. It will then ask AMP to effectively sandbox that endpoint or that malware for forensic analysis. So that can be done with something like ThreatGrid from Cisco. And until that piece of malware is then forensically analyzed and deemed to be safe, at that point, AMP will tell Duo and Duo will allow that user to authenticate. So that's a very simple example of how you can just stack technologies on top of each other. But to go even further, something like Cisco AMP can then integrate into Cisco's email security appliance or, or what customers will know as iImport. So there is integration there to look at file analysis and file reputation, which actually can be one of the first signs of a, a breach. So it's all about understanding what particular attack vector are you trying to protect and then how you can stack technologies to leverage integration to provide more derived value back to the end user customer. Mm -hmm, definitely. It always comes back to understanding that cybersecurity plan as it relates to your business and understanding, as you're saying, where these vectors are coming from. Um, because as we know, it's difficult to defend against everything, but it's very important to do it the best you can. And understanding where those risks are coming into your organization is going to make it so much easier when you do build that stack and go forward. And another element that I find interesting when we're kind of having this conversation is we're talking about the technology and we're talking about the, the layered stacks that are so important to cybersecurity. But when you really break it down, the foundational principles of security are kind of built on, you know, your people, your processes, your policies, the people kind of making sure all of this happens and goes forward. So how do those elements of people, processes and policies really tie into governance, compliance and best practice? I think that's a really good Question, Max. And actually, I think they are one of the same thing. I think when I use the time people, process and policies, it's a, a an old school security term. But actually, it is governance, compliance and best practice. And to give you an example of this. So when you talk about governance, we talk about a framework that could be something like ISO or IASME or Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus. You know, some of these are around technology, but there are fundamental people and processes that come into this, you know, how is information shared? How is information collected? How is information protected? Um, and when you look at, if I was an attacker, the people side of it for me is the most attractive attack vector. You know, businesses are obviously deploying a huge amount of technology into their enterprises to secure various workloads and security streams. But actually, you have to train people. You know, and that comes into governance. When you look at compliance posture, actually making sure that your people understand security at a base level with something like security and awareness training, that boosts your people's understanding and boosts the defense of your people's understanding against security, like things like phishing attacks. But it also hardens your compliance posture because when an auditor, let's say, a Deloitte or a KPMG comes into your business to do an audit, they want to see not only you adhering to typical compliance measures, but you are hardening that posture by actually providing your people with more educational value in terms of security so they can tie that back into the business. And when you look at things like best practice, it's something that's so simple, and that is just following standard architectures and design guidelines that have been around 
um, for years and years, decades even, are backed by huge organizations and frameworks, are backed by the vendors and are backed by huge communities of very technical architects, um, you know, that are very pristine in their careers. So when you look at best practice, it's very easy to get caught up as an IT team in just trying to keep systems available trying to keep service tickets on the service desk, you know, being worked on and reduce that ticket count. But in actual fact, a lot of the time, the best practice piece gets missed. And it's the fundamentals of security that need to be followed. You can put all of the shiny technology you want in, Max. You can spend millions. But if you don't adhere to best practice, you are leaving attractive attack vectors for malicious hackers. I 100% agree. You know, long-time listeners of this podcast know that I always kind of bang on about put the plan in place, have the best practices, build on that as your foundation. And once you've got that, that is a solid foundation for you to be able to introduce other areas that can, as you say, stop these threat vectors in their tracks just because you have the compliance there, the best practices, the paperwork, the people. That's that's really where you need to kind of grow from uh, as you push forward. Now, when we're talking about, obviously, the good people in the world who are trying to obviously bring in these policies and doing the governance and helping everyone out in the organization, they're obviously doing that for a reason to keep, you know, your bad actors out of the place. So when we're talking about multiple cybersecurity frameworks, how can they and the use of organizations really help provide an understanding of an attacker? And how does that benefit kind of individual organization size? Well, I think it's a great question again. I think the first place to start there, Max, would be the Lockheed Martin Cyber Kill Chain. So this is a framework developed by Lockheed Martin to drive intelligent driven defense. And that is to give customers a real understanding of what that step chain attack looks like from a hacker. Soon as you understand the mindset of a hacker, and you're going to hear so much of this in the in the news and in the press, everyone wants to talk about, you know, what's the mindset of a hacker? How do you understand a hacker's behavior? Well, actually, Lockheed Martin have done this for you in the cyber kill chain. So being able to look at that framework and run all the way through from when a hacker does reconnaissance on a business all the way through to exfiltrating that information, as soon as you start to understand those steps, that then gives you that tactical area that you then need to start deploying that technology approach. And they've also provided you the layers because they provided you all of the steps in the kill chain. So a business can then start to look at, well, I can take these products from one or two or three vendors and have that best of breed approach. Or I can potentially see if there is a vendor like Cisco out there, for example, where I can deploy multiple of these technologies and enhance that value throughout the stack. And then moving on from the cyber kill chain, MITRE attack framework is probably the most well-known framework out there. Um, and, and that is in a, for adversarial advanced techniques and tactics and common knowledge. So it's a huge centralized repository from businesses and security architects all around the world who have done threat and intelligence feed sharing with the likes of Sticks and Taxi and taken all of that knowledge from an attacker and built the MITRE attack framework, which gives you the 20,000 typical attacks that an attacker will use to breach your business. So when you tie MITRE attack framework to Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain, you can start contextualizing those frameworks and looking at if a common attack on the MITRE attack framework is a privilege escalation, 
then do we are we making sure that we have something like an endpoint detection response platform, the EDR that we spoke about, on our client devices so that when a, an attacker tries to attack that endpoint, they are unable to escalate privileges. That then ties into PAM, privilege access management, which is number nine on the technology landscape. Having tools in there that stop users being able to escalate their privileges. You know, IAM and PAM set the definition for effectively role-based access controls, and that's RBAC, which is a very well-known um, governance term. And, and that allows a business to start understanding, well, if this is a typical type of attack that someone will try and breach an endpoint, then escalate their privileges so that they can laterally move east and west um, throughout our environment, then actually, I know if I contextualize these, I can try and stop this dead in its tracks. And then you move on to things like NIST, which is one of the, the most well-known from a risk and controls perspective. And then you have things like CIS benchmarking, um, which is run by the Center of Internet Security. And it's a framework called Critical Security Controls. And this is effectively a framework to make sure that you have the latest CIS benchmarking framework patches and governance and controls against your infrastructure to ensure that you are adhering to best practice, which we mentioned before. And that again, allows you to harden your security posture. And you know, the last one I think I'll talk about that I think has some real value is OWASP. OWASP is the Open Web Application Security Project. Again, it's an open community. Um, and a, a large part of the technology landscape that we talk about uh, as a business at TechniMove and the cybersecurity periodic table focuses on attack types and OWASP have a top 10 web attacks. So they, it's very well known. They, you know, promote it hugely globally um, for businesses so that businesses are able to start looking at actually how do I protect my web tier? Well, it's not just DDoS anymore. DDoS was an attack that everyone knew and um, which had distributed denial of service which is, you know, for users that don't know, is almost like loading thousands of letters through a letterbox, clogging up the letterbox so that you're not receiving any letters anymore. And because the world has moved past DDoS, you know, we now have to look at things like SQL injection and cross-site scripting. And that's where being able to pen test a web application, um, running VA scanning on a web application comes in. But all of that is built off understanding the OWASP framework and contextualizing that and applying that to your everyday web application. Amazing. See, people, the tools are there. They can be utilized and they can be effective about everything that we're talking about here today. Because you're right, the breach will happen mindset is so prevalent. And it's almost getting to be a bit like, oh, it's going to happen anyway, so we might as well just let it happen. It's like, no, you've got all of these tools available that make it very difficult for those breaches to happen in the first place. Um, and I'd like how you've detailed how each one can kind of help there. One thing I'm curious whether you could quickly kind of tie it in here is obviously when we're talking about DevOps and how it helps to kind of increase that organization's ability to really deliver the services that we're talking about at the speed that they need. So just talk to us quickly about how DevOps is the relationship to this kind of breach mindset and the tools that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me start by answering why I use the term a breach will happen mindset. So I've had the pleasure or pain of recovering two global businesses 
from ransomware attacks. And I can tell you now, Max, it's extremely stressful. And one of the biggest things I found was that there was no incident response and no breach response plan. So when the worst does happen, the first thing that a business thinks is, we've been hacked. What do we do? Everyone's running around like headless chicken, to be frank. Uh, Everyone are very stressed within that organization because there's jobs on the line. There is a huge amount of risk involved. So it starts to turn to, you know, how do I recover my backups? Are my backups backups corrupted? Are the backups offsite? You know, can we fail over to DR? Do we know the attacker is still in the environment? What about our forensic analysis? We're going to use that for cyber insurance. So, you know, being able to take that breach will happen mindset allows a business to take the necessary steps to prepare for a breach before it happens. And then tying that into DevOps, you know, we have this term CICD, which everyone in an enterprise or in the DevOps arena that lives and breathes it will understand it. That is effectively continuous integration and continuous development. And that, as you've rightly said, was the next phase of the waterfall approach from DevOps. That was how do we speed up quality assurance, multiple devs working on the latest version of the code and deploying that code to production and being able to deliver that consistent experience to users in a feedback loop. And because of the rise of CICD, containers and Kubernetes, that has had a big impact on DevSecOps. So when we talk about DevSecOps, that is the securing of the DevOps pipeline, which in most businesses now that CICD pipeline. And so we have things like shift left and shift right. And these two words are banded around a lot by businesses banded a lot by technology vendors, I should say, um, and business is still struggling to understand, well, what's the difference between shift left and what's the difference between shift right? Well, at a very basic level, shift left is baking security right into the planning stage. Not when you code, not when you test, not brute forcing it at the end of the cycle before it gets you know, rolled out to production. It is taking security extremely serious right at the outset so that it is integrated into every single part of that DevOps chain. When we talk about shift right, that is the observability side of things. And and to go back to Cisco, they have their full stack observability play. um, And the observability side of that that comes into the DevSecOps piece is delivered by AppDynamics. Um, And that is being able to understand what is going on in your application at a granular level and setting tripwires so that you can see if one of those wires has been tripped, this could be the possible sign of a breach. Being able to do continuous vulnerability assessments for the life cycle of that app. You know, that's really how you then take that breach will happen mindset into DevOps, because it all starts with we're going to get breached. So we have to tie security right in to the outset. Amazing. I think that's uh, I'm hoping that everyone listening in the cybersecurity space, whatever department or area level you work in, you're scribbling quite frank. Uh, frantically, because Andy's given some good advice here in terms of how to build stuff in from the get-go, from the ground up. And obviously, you've kind of given us a lot of tips and tricks here, but I'm just kind of curious if there's any other, you know, best practices or quick wins that businesses don't really tend to think about when it comes to cybersecurity and how they can be beneficial uh, for the short term and also the long term. Well, I think every business is is different, Max. And, and we find that you know, we can go in and do a network audit 
at six different companies. Um, one of those companies will have very good security practices um, deployed, but five of the other companies aren't doing the simple things like you just mentioned, the quick wins for best practice. So, you know, something that I always talk to customers about is network access control or in the industry, we call it NAC. Um, Cisco's product and solution for NAC is ISE, Identity Services Engine. Um, and this is simple authentication of a device onto a network. Well, I say it's simple, that's where we start with NAC and, and we call that 802.1x. Being able to make sure that a device and endpoint has to authenticate to the network so you're not just letting any random device come onto the network without any kind of security. Being able to put AAA security onto those devices and then to start building into the slicker things that NAC can do, which is dynamic endpoint visibility and VLAN steering. But NAC is one of those really quick wins, I think, from a technology perspective. And then when we start to talk about the best practice bit, which was you know the question you really asked me, I think there are some very, very simple quick wins that I talk to customers about every day. You know, we have lots of businesses with multiple sites or that are connecting to cloud applications or connecting to hosted applications, whether they're in the data center or the cloud. Uh, and that we build an IPSEC VPN tunnel or a site-to-site -site tunnel. Now, the idea in the industry is that an IPSEC tunnel is secure. Well, that's wrong because if you are building your IPSEC tunnels on iKev1, not iKev2, then you are basically allowing businesses or your business to open up an attack vector of weak cryptographic signals that could be hacked by uh, malicious hackers. So instead of building your VPN tunnels on iKev1, simple, build them on iKev2. SNMP, that simple management network protocol that every business uses for networking. If you are using SNMP2, you are not following best practice guideline just simply upgrade to use SNMP3. It has enhanced security controls and remote configuration that are there to protect your business. There is a reason that there are next versions of applications, next versions of code, next versions of frameworks. It is to fill the gaps that have been highlighted. So if you're not always using the latest version, just the same as firmware, when you look at a continuous VA scanner, it is scanning for threat data against a global threat database. And almost all of the things that come up are this needs to be patched. This isn't on the latest firmware. So those are some really simple things. And two more that I want to talk about is a bastion jump host or reverse proxy. So these are a way of protecting the way that users connect to applications. If you have users that are SSHing or RDPing directly onto application servers and that user gets compromised, you are opening up those application servers for a breach. If you just simply deploy a jump host, which is a box that you can wrap an MFA tool or two-factor authentication around, it separates and isolates what that user can do before they authenticate, before they then connect to the application server. So for me, those are, you know, I mean, I could talk about this all day to be honest, Max, but those are kind of four <laughs> very simple basic areas that a business can look at that will harden their secu security posture and their compliance posture. And auditors will love you. You can do all of the sexy things like breach attack simulations. You know, that's something that we've built at Technimove where we can simulate MITRE attack attacks on a network, an endpoint, a DMZ, a backup that goes far beyond pen testing and VA scanning. And whilst auditors will love that, actually what they want to see you doing is the basics. 
Very true. Get the basics right and you're you're home free. And I think you just saying the words auditors will love you has made everyone go, okay, 100% going to do all of that. <laughs> Let's make life easier for ourselves. Before we go today, um, and we're close to wrapping up here, do you have any kind of final examples regarding the benefits or the strategic value of what we've kind of been discussing that we haven't had time to get to? I, I think for me, the last thing I'd like to end on, Max, is just putting that demark between cybersecurity and cyber resilience. So we've talked a lot about cybersecurity, but we haven't talked about cyber resilience. Cyber resilience is a business's ability to continue delivering outcomes irrespective of a breach. So in order to be cyber resilient, you have to have a completely isolated air-gapped platform from your production and DR. And that is where we're seeing enterprises move now. It's something that we've built at Technimove on an immutable backup as a service platform that is ransomware free. An immutable backup cannot be hacked. It cannot be encrypted. It cannot be changed. It cannot be deleted. So a lot of enterprises are now starting to look at production and DR and thinking, well, actually, if we want to be cyber resilient, we need to have a completely isolated air gap solution that will deliver those outcomes continuously if we have a breach at production and it is going to take us two to three weeks to recover from. And that is how long it takes to recover from a breach, Max. It's not one day. You might recover your backups in a day, but that's not how long the forensics, the network redesign, the checking of every single thing, both east and uh, west lateral movement, um, and checking things like file integrity monitoring, that you're not still getting people altering files. So if a customer wants to be cyber resilient, they have to decouple resilience from their production and DR platform and take a hosted uh, cyber resilient platform that's air gapped or build their own. But it has to be completely isolated from the technology platform, the service provider platform that they are currently using. Excellent note to end on. I think that is a solid final bit to kind of go out. Andy, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for coming on today's episode and walking us through all of this. It's, uh, it's been really insightful. You're really welcome, Max. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Wonderful. Cheers, Andy. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away um, and learned as much as I did today. We're going to be putting all of the information in the description below so you can check out the periodic table that we're talking about. Get it downloaded, slap it on your wall and look at it every single day and just follow what we've said to the letter and you'll be golden. Now, if you want more information from Technimove, then make sure you do head on over to technimove.com forward slash blog hyphen posts. Again, that's technimove.com forward slash blogs hyphen posts. Thank you again to Andy and to Technimove. We'll be back soon with another podcast episode. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.